Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Eight fires continue to burn in some seven counties across Utah with the threat of more fire with persisting hot and dry conditions. We're going to talk about wildfires in Utah today, and our guests include Stacy Olson, who has fought wildfires in the western U.S. for 10 years, Kate Webb with the Utah Division of Forestry, Fire, and State Lands, and Moab Mayor Emily Niehaus. And uh, we invite you to join us as well in the conversation by email to upraccess at gmail.com. How are you being affected in uh, where you live? And uh, we do welcome in um, Stacy Olson, of now in Colorado. I understand, Stacy Olson? Yes. Uh, let's, good morning. Yeah, good morning. Good morning. Good to have you with us. Grand Junction, I believe, is where you're talking to us from. And some 10 years experience fighting wildfires, so we'll want to hear all about it. Um, Kate Webb is a wildfire public information officer, I understand, with Utah Division of Forestry, Fire, and State Lands. That's within the Department of Natural Resources. Uh, Welcome to the program. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us. And uh, Moab Mayor Emily Niehaus is joining us. Thanks for being on with us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Appreciate uh, you joining us. Uh, so I want to start with Kate Webb. Uh, give us a bit of an overview, a brief overview of several fires uh, still burning in Utah. I understand. Yeah, absolutely. We've had a very, very busy start to the 21 fire season. We've got uh, over 422 wildfires across the state this year so far, and uh, 347 of those have been human-caused. So Big factor when it comes to human-caused fires this season so far. Drought is definitely influencing our fire potential this year, and fuels are critically dry across the state right now. We've already had uh, around 57,000 acres burned statewide. Uh, Say that number again. 57,000 acres burned statewide. Yeah, yeah. And I I saw you quoted elsewhere as saying that uh, we're – it's happening in June the way it often happens in August. So, uh, unfortunately, an early start to the season. Yeah, absolutely. We're observing fire behavior and activity that we usually see in August, which just means fires are burning very actively right now, more active than we tend to see. We're seeing fires in higher elevations that we don't normally see this early in the year and different sizes of fuels that we don't often see consuming fully, like trees or, or larger fuels on the forest floor are consuming fully right now, too, which we don't often see this early on. Fuels are just much drier than we've seen before, and that's played a huge factor in the fire behavior and activity that we're seeing this year. So the drought, uh, I'm sure, plays a, a part, right? Drier fuels, drier soil. Absolutely. It definitely exacerbates the, the fire potential that we have. Like you mentioned, soil moisture is incredibly low across the state because of the drought. We had a very dry spring. We had uh, very low snowpack this year, and last year was dry as well. So all of that's compounding. Soil moisture levels are low. That means that there isn't a lot of moisture, or what we call relative humidity, in fuels. So when there is a spark, it's much easier for that fire to start. Fuels are much more receptive to ignition. And when we are seeing fires start, they're moving much quicker and and burning very actively just because of all the dry fuels that are available for them to move through and consume very easily. 
the, the mix of, uh, I guess, the various causes for fires, I was reading um, at least one fire was caused by a, a plane crash. I imagine that's somewhat unusual, but um, so, some human cause, is that mix, the, the number of human caused fires, that typical for this time of year or, or higher or lower? You know, it's higher than our 10-year average for this time of year, so it's higher than normal. Last year around this time, we actually had had more human-caused fires. So we are seeing a positive trend this year with a slight dip in the number of human-caused fires that we've been having. We're hoping that trend continues. But, um, you know, at this time in 2020, we'd had 370 human-caused fires. 2019, we had had 104. And we're at 347, as I mentioned earlier. So much higher than it should be and um, higher than our normal here in the state. Let me turn next to uh, Mayor Niehaus. Uh, They're in Moab. I know the Pat Creek fire uh, is uh, continues to burn, right? Pretty close to Moab. What, what's the scene there? Yes. Yeah, so the Pat Creek fire as of today is 73% contained. And um, it was caused by... Um, uh, an abandoned campfire. Um, so campers decided to start a campfire and then go out on a, on a ATV ride and came back to a fire. So lesson, lesson there, right? Obviously. Yeah. I mean, I, I am hopeful that that's a lesson. I'm fearful that the reality is that, um, we are not taking it seriously enough, um, but it's hard. Um, we as a municipality um, have only so much power in terms of, of what we can restrict um, in terms of um, fireworks. So, and, and public land managers, um, you know, are kind of in the same uh, in the same situation where you know restrictions are. Um, you know, we, we can only go so, so far in terms of restrictions. Um, the, the good news is that um, back in 2018, the city of Moab did pass um, a, uh, a fireworks prohibition. However, we, could only pr- we can only prohibit fireworks along our creeks um, by, by structures and um, restricting fireworks that go over... Uh, six feet in the air. Um, we are not able to restrict people selling fireworks um, on, you know, like pop-up um, tents, selling little sparklers. Um, and as uh, the listeners have heard, um, one spark can start a fire. Um, so it's just really, uh, you know, fire is really complicated. It's devastating. And, um, you know, municipalities like the city of Moab and others in the state, um, are limited by our state legislature of what we can actually do to take proactive steps to to mitigate you know potential fires. Uh, once you're back to Kate Webb, what are the statewide? Are the restrictions in place? There are a lot of restrictions in place. Fireworks specifically are never allowed on federal lands, and this year they are also banned from all state lands and all unincorporated private lands. So the only areas that 
have the potential for fireworks to be allowed are cities and towns. And again, as was just chatted about, um, a lot of cities and towns are implementing their own restrictions to the extent that they can. So it's very limited where you are allowed to discharge fireworks this year. I do want to highlight fireworks go on sale today. It's June 24th. So they're going to start being legally sold across the state. That does not mean that they're legal for discharge. There are very specific dates in the state of Utah that the public is allowed to discharge in designated areas, and that is not until July 2nd through the 5th. What, what are designated areas? Right in the middle of town? What's the what's designated areas? It's dependent on what restrictions are in place. So, again, like I mentioned this year, nowhere on federal, state, or unincorporated private lands and a number of cities and towns have put in restrictions as well. So the public will need to reach out to their local city or town and determine if there are bans or restrictions in place, if there are areas that are allowed, and uh, go from there. It's very dependent on the city and town across the state. Mm-hmm. So, Mary Niehaus, um, <laughs> you were saying you can't control everybody, right? And the, and, uh, the restrictions you're allowed to do are somewhat limited, and we're heading toward 4th of July. That's got to be a bit of a worry for you. Uh, yeah, we're all really concerned. Um, the the fire danger is real. Um, and, um, you know, us not being able to prohibit the sale of fireworks locally, it just sends a message to people like, oh, well, if I can buy them, I can certainly let them off. And, um you know, visitors that are coming to Moab may have different, um, you know, fire restrictions. They might not even realize, um, you know, that there are restrictions in place. We're doing what we can to plaster the town with um, information. We've, we're putting up signs as you enter Moab that, um, you know, fire restrictions are in place. Our federal and state land managers are doing what they can to, to provide education, but um, you know, still there's there's the the threat of um, you know little poppers going off and starting starting fire. Um, the creeks are definitely you can't have you can't you know do any kind of anything in our creeks. That's really our our area of highest concern because of the brush and because of you know the amount of vegetation. Um, we are still having our 4th of July fireworks show. It's actually the county. Um, it's a collaboration between the city and the county, but it's our Grand County's decision to do so. We're actually hopeful that by having um, our fireworks display, that'll be very controlled, um, a very controlled display, um, that that might curb people's enthusiasm for setting fireworks off themselves. Mm-hmm. And uh, probably a calculation being uh, made uh, in in other areas as well. Um, so I want to turn to uh, Stacy Olson. Um, so uh, first of all, you're in Grand Junction. At any fires around there for that area? I know we've got a few along the I-70 corridor. Um, none of them are in air- any area where I would um, be involved in fighting them. Yeah. Uh, so I understand you're with um, you're with City of Grand Junction at this point, right? Um, Firefighting? Uh, no, I I don't work for them as a firefighter. Okay, all right. Um, but you uh, you have fought wildfires for for several years. 
I have. I've worked as a volunteer for some of the agencies that are a little more rural. Yeah. Um, so how'd you get into that work? Um, I actually had an interest in first responding, and there was a volunteer agency that was looking for some volunteers, so I started volunteering with them and found out that I liked the firefighting aspect of it, so I started getting my certifications and working towards that. Yeah. Uh, I imagine you, did you find some big fires? I've mostly just had some smaller brush fires. I had one um, that was, I think, a total of 40 acres, I think, is my biggest one. Uh-huh, yeah. But I have had quite the experience in a lot of smaller brush fires and uh, agricultural burns that have gotten out of control. Yeah. Uh, were you ever in danger, you feel like? There's always a, a bit of danger when you're playing with wind and fire and really dry conditions. Yeah. I have had, have had some incidences that have kind of raised the hair on the back of my neck, but, you know, we've got a lot of training and a lot of work that goes into this, and everything we do is kind of with a calculated risk. Yeah. And as you as you're listening to the previous discussion, you know the calculations on uh, you know how do we help people understand the fire risk? Uh, Mayor Niehaus said some people may be taking this a little too casually. I imagine that resonates as someone who has to has had to go out and fight some fires. It does. I think the biggest thing is people don't realize that it can happen to anyone. Um, it can happen to someone who is well intentioned, sober, with a few sparklers and a few cents fun things for the kids and wind can come up with, you know, the discussion we've already had about the ground being really dry, the air being really dry, lots of fuel load that's really ready to burn because of all the dryness. It can just be a wrong spark and a big shift of wind that can cause a lot of problems, especially, and even if, you know, there wasn't any negligence or malintention. Yeah, just uh, circumstances maybe change faster than than you figured, kind of a thing. Correct. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, let's take a break. When we come back, we'll have more with uh, Stacy Olson, uh, who is in uh, Grand Junction. She has uh, fought fires for some 10 years. Uh, Kate Webb is Wildfire Public Information Officer with Utah Division of Forestry, Fire, and State Lands. And we have with us uh, Mayor Emily Niehaus from uh, Moab City. More following this. Support for Utah Public Radio programming comes from our members and Westside Coffee Company on 100 West in Logan, offering breakfast and lunch with vegan and gluten-free options. Kitchen open from 7 a.m. to 3 p.m., pastry and non-cooked items available all day until 6 p.m., Monday through Sunday. Details at thewestsidecoffeecompany.com. Hanging baskets and planters look beautiful early in the growing season and make an amazing addition to any yard or garden. However, by the time the heat arrives in late June or July, they can struggle and suffer without proper care and eventually find a new home in the compost pile. The secret recipe to keep your hanging baskets and planters looking beautiful all summer requires only a few simple steps. Fertilize, hydrate, and repeat. Use a water-soluble or liquid fertilizer every three to four days and hydrate the soil completely on a daily basis. 
Use a soil penetrant or hydrating agent if your baskets dry out too fast. Consistent watering, a regular fertilizer regimen, and your persistence can make all the difference in a gorgeous planter or an early addition to the compost heap. Support for The Garden Spot comes from Logan Extermination, serving Cache Valley for over 45 years, offering year-round pest control, lawn, tree, and shrub maintenance. Information at loganextermination.net. Thanks for joining us for Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Uh, many wildfires continue to burn across Utah. Of course, there's threat of more. The fire season continues, and it's an especially dry uh, year, hot conditions. And um, we're talking wildfires in Utah today. Our guests include Stacy Olson, who's uh, fought wildfires in the western U.S., uh, Kate Webb with Utah Division of Forestry, Fire, and State Lands, and uh, Moab Mayor Emily uh, Niehaus. You're welcome to join us. Love to know the situation where you are. The way to get to us is by email, upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. Uh, I want to start with uh, Mayor Niehaus again in, in this uh, segment of the program. Uh, before we went to break, you said that uh, you know the city would put on some fireworks, I guess, hope that that would be sufficient for people. Uh, how hopeful are you that people will follow the rules? Well, um, there's the carrot and the stick that we talk about in government. The carrot is... Um, uh, you know, our, how we incentivize, um, and then the stick is how we punish. <laughs> so the fireworks display is definitely meant to be the carrot, you know, the, the way that we can still enjoy fireworks in a safe way. Um, but the stick is um, the penalty. So anyone who violates the city fireworks ban um, would be subject to a fine up to $1,000 and, um, you know, some possible jail time. So the, the consequences are pretty real, and um, we have put that in a lot of our um, marketing materials and advertising materials locally. Um, we're hopeful that that message gets out. Um, when we were sitting um, outside last year with my, my family, my son saw a firework go up in the air, and he looked at me and he said, Mom, that's $1,000. <laughs> Um, so we're trying to get the word out that, you know, a thousand dollar fine is a real thing. And we're, we're going to be really diligent about enforcement this year because of the severity of the danger. Well, I guess you, you've got the word out to your son anyway. That's what, (laughs) um, uh, hopefully, hopefully beyond, uh, sounds like we lost, uh, someone's lost, uh, I believe, uh, Stacey Olson will get her back on. Um, so uh, is is the, uh, of course this is a bad year in Moab because uh, the back Pack Creek uh, fire not a fire you know thankfully every year near Moab uh, I guess uh, high alert though because of the conditions definitely um, it's interesting there's um, there's a website um, that folks can go to the utahfireinfo.gov where they can see active fires. It, the, the, um, the interesting thing is that, you know, we locally are very concerned about fire danger, but also um, when our visitors are coming to visit Moab, sometimes they fly into Salt Lake, sometimes they fly into Grand Junction. And so fire danger could also be, you know, like if a fire were to flare up on one of our um, specific corridors getting to and from Moab, that could cause um, real chaos in the in the visitor world. Um, uh, you know, if Interstate Six, 
or sorry, State Highway 6 or Interstate 70 were to get closed due to fire damage um, or fire danger, uh, then, you know, that 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 can really affect um, Moab as well. Uh, it's just it's just um, really important for all of us to be aware, you know, to be to prevent. But then once fires do pop up, we have to um, be really engaged with um, things like containment and area. Um, and so I'm really grateful that the state of Utah has the website, utahfireinfo.gov, so that, you know, we can all be aware of where the fires are happening. Um, because earlier, um, the, uh, the, um, in Price, that, um, bear fire, um, the, the, the bear fire that happened in Price, um, uh, which is, I think, but I'm looking at the website right now, 93% contained, so it's still not fully contained. That was a, a lightning-caused fire. Um, that closed Highway 6 down. Um, so uh, it just was a kind of a reminder, hey, you know, fires um, can really uh, can really affect what's happening here in Moab, even in the surrounding area. And then, of course, too, it's important to recognize the the air quality issues that happen when fires are occurring as well. Um, you know, especially for those that have asthma, those that are long haulers with COVID-19. Uh, so, Mary House, are, are you seeing that in, in Moab, uh, smoke and air quality problems? Uh, we definitely were with the Pat Creek fire. Mm-hmm. Um, there was, it's so interesting, um, if you've ever built a campfire, especially using juniper wood, um, it's it's like a beautiful smell. It's really it's really a delicious smelling campfire. Um, the morning after the Pack Creek fire blazed, um, Moab sky was like this this golden this golden red, and the smell in the air was that beautiful juniper smell, and it was like what nightmares are made of. Um, it was just a really, um, a really eerie morning, but also really contributed some, to some bad air quality in our valley. Because Moab is in a valley, the air settles, and so does the smoke. Yeah, that, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's quite the scene there that you're setting in our minds here. A beautiful smell, but, uh, but, but some problems come along with it. Yeah. Um, so, uh, t- turn next to Kate Webb uh, with the Utah Division of Forestry, Fire, and, and State Land. And uh, Mayor Niehaus uh, mentioned uh, this website, uh, utahfireinfo.gov. I'm, I'm there right now. I've been looking at this. Uh, useful information here. Um, I want to talk a little bit more about restrictions. I note here on this website, exploding targets are prohibited on all Forest Service and BLM lands. What, uh, what are we talking about there? So those are any sort of exploding targets or tracer rounds that people shoot at. Those are prohibited. Um, they have a very high, very high potential of starting a fire. So given, given conditions that we're in and wanting to avoid those types of fire starts, those, those um, prohibitions have been put in place. Yeah, I, I I don't engage in that sport, so that's I didn't know about this, but uh, for obvious reasons. Yeah. In fact, the, the photo or the picture here uh, shows a, pretty big fireball from from this exploding target so i can see why that's restricted uh so we've talked about fireworks uh are there campfire restrictions 
Yes, there are a number of campfire restrictions across the state, and those are evolving on a daily and weekly basis, constantly being reevaluated and um, changed if needed to meet or match conditions. But we do have some statewide restrictions in place, as well as numerous area restrictions across the state when it comes to campfires. Um, I've heard of this uh, anecdotally. Uh, you can tell me whether you've heard of this or not. Uh, what I heard from a couple friends is a, uh, kind of a trend of uh, people going and getting pallets and using that for their firewood. And that uh, what they've said is, is that can cause problems because there's metal in that, which, which can, you know, spark out. I don't know if you've heard about this, yeah. people using pallets. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That does unfortunately happen. That is a concern for two reasons. One, what you already mentioned, but also once you get a fire that's burning that large, it's much more difficult to contain and control and keep managed. So when we are talking with people about campfire safety, something we really want to highlight is keeping the fire small and manageable so that if you need to extinguish it quickly, you easily can. It's kind of hard to have enough water on hand to fully extinguish a burning pallet quickly if you need to. It's much easier if you have a small campfire and a contained fire ring. And um, if you need to extinguish it, then it's much more manageable at that size. Uh, Stacy Olson uh, mentioned, uh, you know, well-intentioned people who want to be careful and then conditions just change and they're not ready for it. I wonder if you'd talk a bit about that uh, and maybe some more prevention measures. Uh, you talked about keep the fire, you know, a bit smaller and ringed. Uh, what are some other things we can think about? Absolutely. And she was correct. The overwhelming majority of human-caused fires that we see are not malicious. They're not intentional. They're accidental. It's either people who were not taking conditions seriously or aren't aware of or exercising the appropriate safety precautions for whatever activity they're engaging in. Just to give a little perspective here in Utah, our top causes for human-caused fires are, number one, equipment. And that is something like a roadside start, for example, where maybe somebody's air tire pressure in their vehicle isn't correct and they blow a tire on the highway and their rim is dragging on the road and that causes sparks. Same concept with maybe a trailer chain that is sagging too low to the ground. That can cause sparks and start a fire as well. Exhaust. Systems are another big starter for us, especially when it comes to off-road equipment, ATVs. And one that people don't really think about very often is how hot the undercarriage of their vehicle or off-road equipment can get when they're driving. And uh, they drive or park over dry vegetation, which can also spark a fire. So as far as preventative measures for our top kinds of equipment, maintaining your vehicle tightening your chains properly, and never driving or parking over dry vegetation. Our second top cause is debris burning. And we're actually in closed fire season right now, so we're not seeing as many of those causes right now. Those are really our shoulder season causes. But biggest thing with debris burning, whether it be a pile of leaves and sticks in your backyard that you're cleaning up or a more... Uh, larger broadcast burn in an agricultural field or a ditch, you never want to start a fire on a windy day. 
red flag warning conditions are something that you want to tune into very closely and make sure you've made the appropriate notifications so professionals are able to advise you if maybe it isn't the best day. Our third top cause is campfires. And we talked a little bit about keeping it manageable. The other element of campfires is, of course, this year especially checking for restrictions, seeing when and where you can't have them, and never walking away until it's cold to the touch. What we ask people to do is drown it with water, stir it with a stick or a shovel, and then feel it until there isn't any heat left. If you can't touch that fire, then you should not be walking away from it. Mm-hmm. Our fourth cause category is miscellaneous, and that encompasses anything like your fire, firearm-related starts, so target shooting, exploding targets, fireworks, and grinding, cutting, and welding. Biggest thing with each of those is where you're at. Is there dry vegetation nearby and rocks if you're target shooting? What are the weather conditions? Is it a very hot, windy day? Maybe it's, it's not the best day for that recreational activity. So those are some, some simple tips. Our initiative this year interagency across the state that we're asking the public to consider is using fire sense. It's very similar to common sense, but it is practicing those simple steps in whichever activities you might engage in, whether it's work, travel, or recreation that might potentially spark a fire. You said earlier that, you know, compared to uh, at least uh, some previous years, maybe human-caused fires are, are down this year. Do you think people are using more fire sense? I hope that they are. Um, that trend is is been just over this past week. We've seen a dip. That, and as I've mentioned, I really hope that we continue to see that. Our numbers this year, again, are still very, very high compared to our normal and much higher than it needs to be and much higher than it should be given the fire danger that we have this year. But our hope is that the public are starting to recognize the seriousness of the drought conditions that we're in, the high fire potential that that means, and the fact that, you know, we're in this for the rest of the year until the snow flies. We cannot control drought conditions. We can't control snowpack, can't control weather, but we can control how many human-caused fires we have and how busy um, our fire season is going to be. I just note that we're uh, still trying to get uh, Stacey Olson back. Uh, we're disconnected, so we'll keep uh, trying there. Uh, let me turn back to Mayor Niehaus. Uh, you're, uh, I mean, you're responsible, obviously, for the residents of your city, but uh, obviously Moab, a gateway community to some great recreation, a couple of national parks just right there, and uh, so a lot of extra population in the in the summertime. And I wonder if that causes some some concern. Just a lot more people. Um, out and about and in and around um, might increase fire danger. Definitely. Well, like I was saying before, visitors coming from other areas that don't have restrictions, they're not coming with the same knowledge about the area that we have. Um, uh, they're, you know, we have visitors that pull trailers um, and chains um, are used to, you know, when you hook a trailer onto a car, you put um, safety chains on in case the the trailer were to become unhitched. Those chains um, dangle um, by design, and um, sometimes those chains can um, cut themselves loose, um, wiggle themselves loose, and a dangling chain creates sparks and creates that fire danger. Um, 
So there's there's danger there. We have lots of campfire rings um, in and around the Moab area. And sometimes people see a campfire ring and um, they just assume, oh, I can have a fire. There's the ring. Um, even if they, you know, um, if there's a posted, hey, no fires allowed, um, they, maybe they just missed it. You know, <laughs> we call it vacation brain where sometimes you miss the messaging. Um and so then they're, you know, they might start a fire anyway. Um, so lots of campfire rings and campfire rings that are located in campgrounds that don't have um, oversight. So we've got um, not just park service, but we are surrounded also by the Bureau of Land Management um, land as well as Forest Service land. Um, and uh, so um, and then we have state land too as well so lots of campfire rings with lots of different agencies and lots of different rules in the way in which they're um, messaging um, fire banning and and their rules for fire restrictions so it's just a it's a whole lot of um, a whole lot of that Um, and so I I'm curious the number of fires that we have in and around Moab if um, if if those actually are more likely to be human caused because of our recreation. Uh, and as we mentioned before, there's you know a lot of vehicles, right? ATVs, um, and that uh, that could potentially be a problem as well. That's right. Vehicles on the road, um, and it doesn't really matter what you know. It could be also a, a person pulling a, a boat trailer. Um, you know, it's trailers are trailers. We we see a lot of trailers here, and you know, it's not as trendy as it was um, years ago. But people still still do smoke cigarettes, and um, will you know, flick them out their window um, and uh, cause fires that way too. Burning cigarettes. Yeah, we we tend to forget about that. Um, um, so. Uh, <clears throat> I want to turn back to uh, Kate Webb. I'm, I've been tooling around this uh, website, utahfireinfo.gov. This <laughs> this caught my attention. Um, you have some information here about how to, well, essentially how to not bother the firefighters. Um, and, and apparently, I'm guessing, since it's up on the website, you're telling people not to fly their drone into these areas. That That's a problem. It is. It's a huge safety concern. It's actually illegal here in the state of Utah. It's a huge penalty if you fly a drone over any wildfire, no matter whether there is a PFR in place or not. The reason it's a safety concern is if somebody's drone is operating over the fire without a communication link with operation, um, it can potentially impede air operations or even impact an actual aircraft over the fire. So if there's a sighting of a drone over the fire for safety reasons, we ground our aircraft immediately. And that has huge ripple effects. That can mean that we have to stop with water or retardant support, which could be crucial for saving somebody's home. Power lines are another value at risk. It could be critical for helping um, cool down the fire's edge so that firefighters can get in there and actually engage the fire and stop progression. And uh, it also can take away what we kind of call our eyes in the sky. Aircraft over the fire often gives great perspective to resources on the ground in terms of 
fire activity, where it's moving, what's ahead of the fire, and they provide an essential set of eyes and, and intel down to the ground resources. So having our aircraft grounded really hampers our suppression efforts and is a huge safety risk to firefighters on the ground and in the air. So it's, it's a huge concern, and it's something that we emphasize every single year. Um, we always have drones over fires. It's never worth what we say is it's never worth the view. That photo of the fire that you may be taking and you think is really neat um, is not worth a firefighter's life. It's not worth somebody losing their home. So I'm glad you bring it up. It actually is a concern that we have, and we try and emphasize it every single year. Let's take another break. We're talking about wildfires in Utah. Many wildfires continue to burn across the state. And, of course, danger of more. Fire season isn't over, as Kate Webb t- said, until the snow flies. Um, so need to be on alert. We're talking about it on the program today with uh, Kate Webb, with the Utah Division of Forestry, Fire, and State Lands, and with Emily Niehaus, Mayor of Moab. Uh, more following this. Support for you. Support for Utah Public Radio programming comes from our members and Utah Festival Opera and Musical Theater, presenting 33 variations, discovering why Beethoven was compelled to write 33 distinct variations on a simple theme by a minor music publisher. Information at utahfestival.org. Make an appointment with Public Radio's favorite family doc on the next Zorba Pastor on Your Health. It'll be a jam-packed hour on healthy living, including this recipe for... Chicken Marbella Delicious. Mm, we always have a great time, and so will you on Zorba Pastor on Your Health from PRX. Tune in Sunday afternoon at 1 here on Utah Public Radio. This Week in This American Life. So somebody gives you a time machine. What would you do with it? Yeah, warn people of disasters, I guess. I'm going to go back and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to kill Hitler. Or kill Hitler when he's a baby or kill his mother or something. So some people want to change history. Others are more selfish. Probably wouldn't have asked my ex-wife out that first time. There were some people that I wish I could have punched. This week. Saturday morning at 10 here on Utah Public Radio. You're listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We're talking about wildfires in Utah. Many fires continue to burn across the state. And, of course, fire season continues, especially bad uh, season this year, so dry and uh, and hot. Uh, We're talking with Kate Webb with Utah Division of Forestry, Fire, and State Lands and Moab Mayor Emily Niehaus. Um, So, Mayor Niehaus, uh, with this uh, Pack Creek fire, has has there been damage to structures, homes, anything like that? Yeah, um, we have seen um, some structure damage, some structures burn um, to the ground. Um, I, uh, I was also um, told that we have a local, uh, uh, I was reading up about, um, we have a local um, <laughs> hero of sorts, um, Ken Slight. He was a river runner um, for many years. He was a character in um, uh, Edward Abbey's books. He was the seldom seen character in Edward Abbey's books. Um, Really prominent figure in Moab and historian. He had a structure, a Quonset hut, actually, that was filled with all kinds of archives. Um, 
the the Glen Canyon area before the Glen Canyon Dam. That canyon was full of lots of ruins and artifacts, and he had lots of documentation about it. That structure burned, um, and he lost all of those archives. And uh, it's been a, a real sad um, thing um, to lose for our community, um, those archives, and, and then some other structures and uh, in the Pack Creek area as well. Fortunately, um, uh, lots of homes are still standing, um, and that is um, due to the amazing amazing work of the of the firefighters that um that activated right away to to fight the pack creek fire and to keep it uh to keep the home safe um one thing that was interesting that was happening with the fire um if if you don't mind me talking about was that um you know before the fire started we were talking about how we were in severe drought condition. Well, you're not really thinking about fire when you're thinking of drought. You're thinking of available water um, for, you know, consumption and then also for irrigation. And so we were receiving reports that um, our uh, our lake, Ken's Lake, our little reservoir, um, where we store water and use it for irrigation throughout the summer, that that water level was low. And then the Pat Creek fire hit. And we were watching helicopters drop down to the lake to fill up with water to fight the fire. And so we kind of had a two-part punch. One, you know, drought conditions. Two, using the critical water supply that we have to fight a fire as opposed to, you know, keeping our landscape um, under control and 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 you know wet as opposed to allowing the landscape to dry out so it really is um you know multiplying having a fire multiplies the the future danger of of more fire as well yeah that's interesting to think about isn't it the kind of opposite Mm -hmm. of what you you would normally think um let me turn back to uh kate webb with the utah division of forestry fire and state lands uh, have you talked a little bit about uh, firewise communities, fire-adapted communities? Uh, what can we do to protect our homes ahead of time and, and communities? What are some things to think about? It's a great question. It's really important, as you said, to be thinking about preparing your home and your property for wildfire before it impacts you. At the point that there's a wildfire, it's almost a little too late. There are a lot of great resources on the FireWise website. If you just go to firewise.org, there are great resources there that can guide you through different ways to either harden your home or prepare your property to withstand a fire a little bit better. Things as simple as moving wood piles away from your home or limbing up trees so that there isn't as many ladder fuels for the fire to climb up into the tree and then spark towards your home. Clearing debris off your roof and out of gutters is really crucial. What people don't often realize is homes aren't normally necessarily impacted by a flaming front. The biggest threat to homes in a wildfire are embers that are flying off of the main fire. Those travel ahead of it, pushed by wind or fire activity, and they will land on, say, your roof where you may have pine needles or a wooden deck where maybe you haven't cleaned the leaves off of it, or onto your lawn with some dry grass or or shrubs, that receptive dry fuels. 
So clearing away any dead and excessive or overgrown fuels around from your property, spreading out shrubs and trees, and moving flammable materials away from your home is really important. And uh, another option for people is they can actually reach out to their local fire warden or fire department, and we will come out and do a free home assessment, walk around your house, walk around your property, talk with you about what your highest risk areas are and the easy mitigation steps that you can take. I know it can be overwhelming for a lot of people when they think about mitigation around their home. It sounds like a huge lift, a really big project, but honestly, starting with the home and hardening the building itself and then moving five feet from your home is a fantastic start. And as you can, move 50 feet out and then 100. So making it manageable and reaching out to local wardens or fire departments for support and suggestions will go a long ways in getting you working on the, the right projects at the right time. Ben Rehouse, is this something you are concerned about there in, in Moab City government or residents are concerned about fire prepping? Yeah, I uh, definitely. Um, you know, it's uh, uh, it's different within a municipality. Um, we have access to fire hoses, but I think especially when we get closer to the 4th of July, we are, we all start thinking, all right, let's make sure our hose is connected and that, you know, we can take care of any little fires that might, um, you know, pop up around our structures. Um, we also have water tanks and, you know, water availability to be able to, you know, run our, our fire hydrants and put fires out within our municipal boundary. And this uh, following question might not apply to, you know, right downtown Moab, but uh, I wonder if if uh, the larger community has this debate, many communities are, and that is, you know, folks want to build right in the middle of the forest, right? They, they want to build uh, close to that interface or in it, um, and that can bring some, some dangers. So there's some dates, debates in some communities on what do we allow? Yeah, it's definitely our municipal boundary is um, pretty small, and it's in our valley. Um, but I, but I will say that yeah, people love their you know their mountain homes, and um, there are definitely ways that you can build to mitigate fire, making sure that you don't have brush around the house, um, and that you you know uh, don't have any exposed timbers exterior. You know, people like wood sided homes, but that's just something that can catch fire. Um, there's a lot of um, building science that happens in California where the fires are more frequent. So there are definitely lessons that we can learn from, you know, how to how to mitigate fire impacts when building in, in forest land. But, yeah, it's a risk that you take, and we'll see if insurance companies continue to insure the structures that are built in, in high-risk areas. Yeah, that's a whole other layer, right, the, the insurance companies. Uh, we just have a couple of minutes uh, yeah. left, maybe one minute each. Uh, so we'll start with uh, Kate Webb. Uh, what would you, what's what's the biggest takeaway you'd have people uh, take away from this conversation or, or just the, the number one thought And uh, as we, <laughs> it's hard to think about this, we're early in the fire season as we go through this fire season. Yeah, my, my number one thought and what should be, a huge priority on everybody's mind in Utah, whether you live here or you're visiting, is wildfire pre prevention. 
We absolutely have to be taking that seriously this year, and we as the public can directly influence how busy our wildfire season is. We're going to get lightning fires no matter what. We can't stop that, but we definitely can help the, the men and women that are fighting fires by reducing the overall number that they need to respond to by preventing accidental fires. And I would put in a plug for our new website that was recently launched. It's called firesense.org, and it has a prefola of different um prevention tips and tricks. It's great information about how each and every one of us should be thinking about this season, how we should be exercising fire sense in these critical high fire danger conditions. Mayor Niehaus, we'll give you the last word, 30 seconds. What's what's top of mind for you on this subject? Well, we all know the no's, you know, no no fires, um, no fireworks, no, um, you know, minimize the danger. But let's think about the yeses. So if we want to celebrate with light, let's look at different ways that we can use light. Let's string up Christmas tree lights. Let's look at LEDs. There's some really creative products out there that instead of setting off fireworks, you can buy, um, you know, glow wristbands and and different um, glowing toys so that um, especially with our kids um, and playing at night, um, we can have uh, we can have a safer way of going about it. So I just encourage everybody to look for alternatives to fire to be, enjo- you know, to be able to enjoy lights and celebrate the 4th of July in that way and to be very safe. Yes, let's all be safe. Yes. Uh, Emily Niehaus is mayor of Moab City. She's joined us. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Have a good day. You too. Kate Webb is uh, with the Utah Division of Forestry, Fire, and State Lands in the Utah Department of Natural Resources. Thank you so much. Thank you. And we thank Stacy Olson, a firefighter. Uh, we're able to reconnect, but we'll, uh, we'll maybe uh, bring her on at a different occasion. And thanks, everyone, for listening to Utah Public Radio and to Access Utah. Skywatcher Leo T here. Look up, look around, get a little lost in space. And they know where they are, but NASA has squids in space. Yep, NASA has sent dozens of baby squid from Hawaii to the International Space Station for research. Now, you know, the squid are highly intelligent and can do trigonometry like nobody's business, you know. Well, maybe, who knows. But uh, actually, the baby Hawaiian bobtail squid were raised at the University of Hawaii's Kiwalo Marine Laboratory. They were blasted into space earlier this month on a SpaceX supply mission to the International Space Station. The Honolulu Star Advertiser reports money that researcher Jamie Foster is studying how spaceflight affects the squid, that in hopes of bolstering human health during long space missions. And naturally, I had to see if there were some squids way out in space, and well, there is. There's a, there's a new one called the Giant Squid Nebula, a couple of years old, uh, recently discovered. It's in the constellation Cepheus, which is a twinkly constellation that looks kind of like a tall cartoon house. Cepheus resides with many deep sky objects in the northeast sky next to the W of Cassiopeia. You can find some fun pictures and charts on the Skywatcher Facebook pages as well as other resources for this segment. And a little easier to find in the night sky, high in the northeast, large blue-white Vega sparkles. Candle Flame Arcturus is in the southwest and icy blue Spica is closer to the southwest near the horizon. And let's take the Skywatcher spaceship a little closer to home and take a look at Mars where JPL relays that the Mars helicopter took off on its eighth flight 
Ingenuity traveled further than scientists hoped on Monday, staying aloft for 77 seconds and landing about 400 feet from its mothership, the Perseverance rover, which is doing a little bit of exploration on its own, performing some simple tricks like turning carbon dioxide into oxygen while it's up there. And speaking of space exploration, it was 45 years ago in June 1965. It was the space age when the Vietnam War was raging, the civil rights movement was in full swing, and peace and love were starting to bloom as the Beatles were recording Rubber Soul. This was the scene as NASA launched Gemini 4 via a Titan II rocket. It was the second piloted Gemini mission. The spacecraft stayed aloft for four days and astronaut Ed White performed the first spacewalk by an American. Astronaut Jim McDivitt took some spectacular photos of Ed White with the blue and white Earth behind him. On Skywatcher Leo T, it's one sky, many cultures. Many eyes in the peacock's tail feathers are associated with vision and wisdom. In Greek mythology, the bird was a symbol of the goddess Hera, who kept it in her temple as a many-eyed guard. Muslims of Java believe the peacock guards the gate to paradise. In Europe, peacock mythology varies depending on the culture and may represent an omen or symbolize the soul. We hope for a good omen for the soul from the peacock. The peacock constellation lies in the southern sky. So keep your many eyes open, look up, look around, and let's get a little lost in space. Skywatcher Leo T. On Utah Public Radio, UPR, with translator stations statewide and streaming live. Support for Utah Public Radio programming comes from our members and Les Olson Company, navigating the complexities of today's technology and finding the right solutions for businesses, offering copier, printer, and scanner sales and service statewide with technical support and outsourced IT services. Information at lesolson.com. This is Utah Public Radio, a statewide service of Utah State University and the College of Humanities and Social Sciences, KUSR Logan, KUSK Vernal, KUSL Richfield, KUST Moab, KCEU Price, KUSU-FM Logan, and also heard at upr.org.